now we're going to talk about are angels real? Are angels real? Think about that for a minute. You know, um, you know, that's, that's been shows, TV shows, you know, touched by an angel. You know, um, there's demon shows, there's, you know, but, but, but what does the scripture say about that? You know, we live in, in an amazing cosmos, and I use that word cosmos lightly. It allows us to reside in this natural existence while interacting with a spiritual realm that evolves around us. Think about that. See, scriptures vividly demonstrates the spiritual realm while living in this natural realm. For example, the Savior of Jesus constantly interacts with unclean spirits or demons or you might want to say fallen angels. From the spiritual realm, when he walked on earth naturally, so the scriptures exhibit this unique interaction with demons when the Savior had face-to-face -face contact with demon-possessed individuals. Notice how they, demons, I want you to look at some scriptures, how they recognize his royalty by giving him adoration. Yes? Fallen angels gave Jesus adoration. They even admitted his authority by pleading for freedom for torment. Mainly they acknowledged his status as son of God. Turn with me to Mark, the fifth chapter. We're going to kind of stay in Mark and we want to see what Mark says about angels. Mark, the fifth chapter. we see um, that Jesus has just, the fourth chapter, he actually in a ship, he crossed over uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, he, there's a storm. But when they get to the other side, the fifth chapter, verse 1. Everybody's there? Okay. Verse 1, I want you to notice, it says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of Gazarene. And when he had come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Who had his dwellings among the tombs, no man could bind him, no, not with change. Because that he had been often bound with fetters, that's change, and change and change, and had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And as, and I always, at night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Hmm. And crying with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. That's what I want to focus on. Verse 6 and 7. Look at those verses. And when he saw Jesus afar off, 
he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now Mark reminds his readers of these constant interaction with this spiritual realm as Jesus walked on earth. If you flip with me, I want you to notice quickly Mark 1, 23 and 24. Mark 1, 23 and 24. You're going to see that same type of communication. The 23rd verse says, And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thy Jesus of Nazareth? Are thou come to destroy us? I know who thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. Hmm. It's interesting. The demons or the fallen angels recognize the authority of Jesus. Flip with me to the third chapter of Mark. Uh-huh. Same setting. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And the clean spirit, and the unclean spirit, excuse me, and the unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. See, in the spiritual realm, just like the natural realm, you have identifiable characters with individualized events that alert one another to memories of past dealings. The other day I was riding, in, uh, came over here to Dina's house and I you know, rode through Rock Hill and as I was coming around the block, I saw Larry Lynn. Larry's been away from here for years. He's retired and he's visiting his mother. And we stayed out there and we talked for a long time. Our memories went back to him having a basketball going in his yard and we playing ball. So my point is, I saw him, even though we went all the way back to the past and started talking about the years, younger years, and we all too old to, to play ball now. Yeah. But see, in this natural realm, when we see an old friend or someone who opposed us from the past, we experience certain feelings. They can be negative feelings or positive feelings, but these feelings are based on the last encounter with that person. Mm -hmm. See, different emotions exhibit confronting me. They can be comforting or discomforting. They can be joy or fear as we greet that friend or that foe. The same thing can happen if he was an enemy. Likewise, when the Savior confronts these demons, they respond with an extra level of anxiety because of Jesus' authority. See, in Mark 5, when we start off reading, the demons even identified themselves in that episode as legions, mm -hmm. meaning many. Legions, they immediately requested that the Savior refrain from tormenting them, which give us the assumption of past dealing. 
first thing they said? Are you coming to torment us? Yet it's hard to believe that one human can possess so many unclean spirits as for this scenario, the demons counted equated to how many? 2,000. 2,000 demons. Because it was 2,000 that entered the swines. It, it, we count the swines and it was 2,000 swines who committed suicide. I assume that each demon occupied an individual swine who decided to run off the cliff down into the sea instead of tolerating the existence with demons or unspirit, unclean spirits within them. So the swines, they didn't want to be bothered with them, so they committed suicide. These demons, like legions, provides a colorful insight into the spiritual realm of reality. First, demons are real. And their habitation consists of this earth because they were defeated in the heavenly realm. See, the scripture reveals that Michael and his angels defeated Satan and his angels. And after they defeated, they left heaven to live here on earth. If you look at Revelation 12, verses 7 through 11, it says this. And there was a war. In heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels and prevailed not, neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels was cast out with him. Okay, now, so that happened in heaven. Now, think about this for a few minutes now. There was a great battle that took place in heaven. The scripture tells us that when Satan was cast with the angels that rebelled, it was 1,000. Correction. It was one-third of the angels. One-third. Let me get that right. Of the host of angels came with Satan and they were cast out. One third of all the hosts. Now, how many angels we have? The scripture said there is myriadeth upon myriadeth of angels. There is myriadeth represents 10,000. 10,000 upon 10,000, but one third of all that myriadeth came with Satan to earth. And I, you got to think about that. Now, we're talking about a lot of angels came with Satan to earth. I like this because when Jesus, in Luke, the 10th chapter, Jesus gives the 70 charge to go and do what he was doing, go and heal, and he gives them specific direction. And in the 17th and 18th verse, they explained to Jesus, and they said that even the devils, with an S on it, are subject unto, unto us through your name. Even we was able to cast out demons. They were subject to us through your name, Jesus. Now, Jesus' response is unique because he says right here, he said, I beheld Satan as a lightning falling from heaven. 
Jesus said, I saw him come down. I saw him come down like, you know how quick lightning is? Boom, boom. I mean, the, the bell ended, boom. And he was sent like a lightning down to earth. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Now, we don't know how long Satan was here, but he was here when God in the Garden of Eden. We know he was here. It doesn't say that he was created, but he was there in the garden. So, first thing I want to I want to know is that I'm sorry, I lost my place. That God created humans in His image. God created man in His own image in Genesis one eight. So we got to grasp the totality of this momentous statement because you would never understand why demons engage with humans in warfare. God created us in his image after his likeness. Since humans reflect God's image, demons continue to fight with God on earth through their interactions with us. We are in the image of God. So that fight continues here on earth. So what God does is he created a lesser creature. Who out man that thou so mind for him? You made him a little lower than angels. He created a lesser creature made in the image and the likeness of him. So originally, Satan and demons had dominion here on earth. But when God created humans, what did he do? He gave us dominion right here on earth in Satan's territory. What a fantastic plan. Just step back. Look at God's plan. Satan, you rebelled against me. I kicked you out of heaven. Boom, like lightning, you came to earth. And then God said, wait a minute, I'm not finished with you, Satan. I want to battle you some more. But this time, I'm going to do it with a lesser creature. Not an equal creature with Michael and his angels. I'm going to do it with a lesser creature. I'm going to come down there and create me a man. And a woman. I'm going to make him in my likeness after my image to continue to battle. When you think about that, that's awesome. So God allowed us, lesser creatures, to continue that battle here on earth with Satan. Now, although Satan temporarily defeated us, Brenda tell us about that, you know, um, earlier on last Sunday when Eve and man was deceived from the fruit. Yep. He defeated us. He Lured man and woman to disobey God in the Garden of Eden. Yes, that happened. But after that, God sent his son in the same realm with a simple weapon of offense for humans to defeat Satan. We've been studying that all week in Sunday school. A simple weapon that genuine faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to redeem humanity. 
we as humans can engage and win in the same heavenly war right here on earth through this redemption plan. Yeah. Nothing more, nothing less. We've been talking about the law, how the law cannot save us, only the spirit of God, and we can only defeat Satan with faith. That's the only way. When these soldiers become knowledgeable, we are soldiers now, in this heavenly warfare, when we become knowledgeable of our dominating power in this earthly realm, like Michael and the heavenly angels, we too can have victory over Satan and his demons. We can have it right here on earth. You might ask, how is this possible? How is this possible? Two points I want to make. First, we must understand that Satan is a deceiver. That's when we understand his strategy and his tools, we can overcome him. He wants you to think this. Now think about this for a minute. He wants you to think that if you pray more, give more, serve more, worship more, and sin less, maybe just maybe God will give you more. Think about that now. If I do this, 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 maybe God will give me more. Maybe. See, if you follow the more rule, this shift the focus from God off of God onto you. You got to do something. You got to be responsible for something. But you see, the focus is on God. If you're focusing only on where you are sitting right now, physically, you are not viewing your location as being in the same place as where the solution of your problem actually exists. If you got a problem, if you got a problem, let's say you got a demonic problem, you need an angelic solution. I mean, you really got a problem. I mean, this problem is bigger than you, but you need an angelic solution to that problem. And here's the answer, Luke 12. You, you got to turn here with me. Go to Luke, the 12th chapter. And I have read this and read this, and then all of a sudden, this popped out at me. Luke, the 12th chapter. I want you to look at verses 8 and 12. Luke 12. Verses 8 and 9. I'm sorry. 8 and 9. But let, let me start out, but I really want to focus on 8 and 9, but let me start out and kind of give you the setting. The 12th chapter, verse, the first verse starts like this. And in the meantime, there were gathered together a innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they, they strove one upon another. And he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, okay, now, so we have a multitude that's following Jesus. Our multitude. So that disciple here is not referencing the 12, it's referencing everybody that's following him. 
Okay, and then he said, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Uh-oh. He tell them now, hold up now. Because his twelve was fearful of the Pharisees, because we're in the twelfth chapter and they're kind of opposition and, and, and they're not doing this right thing. I mean, every time they turn around, they'll question Jesus, you know, you know, why y'all pumpkin corn on the Sabbath day? You know, why are you doing this on the Sabbath day? It says, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and the closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetop. In other words, there's nothing that you can do, even the Pharisees, nothing that they can do that's not going to be revealed. I know what they're doing, but let them continue on. Think about it. They're still doing the same thing. And then the fourth verse, and I say unto you that, my friend, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that, that they, they can do. If you're afraid of the Pharisees, don't be afraid of them. All they can do is kill That's it. And then he says, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear, fear him, which shall, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Hmm. And he's telling them, fear one that can cast you into hell. In other words, fear God. Don't fear man. Fear God. And then the fifth verse, but I have forewarned you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which shall hath killed hath power to cast you into hell. Alright, the sixth verse. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Hmm. In other words, God is concerned over the farthing, over the birds. He's concerned about you. And then the seventh verse, but even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. You're not therefore, ye are more value than many. He made us in his image after his likeness. We are valuable to God. We have a job to do on earth. Mm -hmm. Now, here's how we get that job accomplished. Verses 8 and 9. I've read this, and I know you, like me, have read it, but I want to pinpoint something here. Also, I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him, shall the son of man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Now, I want you to look at that last portion, the angels of God. Now, of God is a preposition. The noun in there is angels. Okay, all God is just telling you who angels they are. You get it? These are the heavenly angels. And what Jesus is saying is, if you confess me, if you confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels. If you confess me before men, I'm going to give my angels charge over you. All right, now, 
Go back with me with the temptation. You remember when Satan was tempted, Jesus, in that second temptation? He told Jesus, if you be the son of God, you know, he knew he was the son of God. If you be the son of God, cast yourself down. He quotes, Satan quotes Psalms 91, 11 and 12. But if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that ye will not strike your foot against the stone. Satan quotes the scripture. Okay, Lord, if you who you say you are, even though I know who you are, you know, you just go ahead and just throw yourself down. Everybody would know it because you know earlier when he, when they said, we know who you are, Jesus said, be quiet. There's a reason. Man need to find out who I am on their own, not from you all telling me. They need to experience who I am on their own. So you be quiet, demons. <laughs> and let man figure this out. So basically, here, Jesus has control over the angels. We don't have any control over the angels. We can't command an angel to do this or that or anything, but Jesus can. So if I confess Jesus, if I got a demonic problem, and if I said, Jesus, I confess you, help me, Lord, I can't do this on my own, he sends angels. To help it out. We all have, and he even says in scriptures, we all have an angel. The writer of Hebrew makes this perfectly. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? In other words, angels aid the ones who demonstrate the necessary faith in Jesus as Savior. So the question that I ponder today is, if you cannot stand with Christ in your everyday affairs, when he discharges angels in time of your calamity or your problem, if you can't stand with Jesus in this world, not on Sunday, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, if you can't stand with Jesus and you need a demonic intervention, I mean, you have a demonic issue and you need an angelic intervention. Intervention. Is God going to send his angel to help you out? Yet, when we interact with the demonic forces in the spiritual realm, we got to go with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. Oh, you know the scripture. For the weapons of our warfare are not common, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So our weapon is not natural, you all. I got to read this to you from the message, that version, from 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. Listen, the world is unprincipled. It is a dog-eat-dog dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. We don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing and manipulation. 
but they are for demolishing that entire masses corrupted culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warp philosophies, tearing down barriers, erected against the truth of God, filling every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the grounds of every obstruction and building and building lives of obedience into maturity. Just the other day, the, uh, I was talking to one of my coworkers, and she, and she made a statement. She said, "You know, the, uh, um, Dean, I got to start tithing. You know, I, I got to get blessing. I got, you know, I got some problems. I got to start tithing." <laughs> and, and 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 I don't know why I said this. It just it just came out. I said, "Now, first of all, I am not against tithing." I, I am not against that. I, I, I believe in time. But let me just ask you a question. Only a few people I know in my lifetime have the gift of giving. And I see you giving a whole lot. Oh, yeah, I got gifts. She said, I believe in giving. I said, you believe in giving? You, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, not too many people give it still don't have nothing to keep giving. <laughs> You're doing it. I mean, that's the whole essence behind, I think, time it is. It's giving. You're giving. You're doing it. You're buying pizza for the kids here at the school. You're giving out these plates. I mean, you're just honoring people. You're, you're praising people. You're doing it. You see, that's the tool of Satan. If you do this, then God will do that. If you do this, 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 then God will do that. That's a trick. We do things because we love God. We're not trying to manipulate God in doing this, 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 because he knows. He already knows why you're doing it. And sometimes we can't get victory over the demonic forces because we have another intention in store. If I get victory over this, God already knew it. You are God's chosen children. You are made in his image after his likeness. You have another job to do besides your selfish intention. You are here to glorify God and give him glory. Paul in Ephesians, the third chapter, says this. Paul reminds the church of Ephesus that our blessings are in heavenly places. Jesus is in Heaven. We are in heavenly places. Angels are in heavenly places. The demonic realm is in a heavenly place. With so much going on in the heavenly places, it only makes sense that we should learn and apply as much as we can on how to function and operate effectively in a heavenly place. How many of us are saying, I can't wait to get to heaven? And this and that is going to happen. We are sitting right now in a heavenly place. When the servant was going forth and you was worshiping, praising God, and how did that make you feel? You are in a heavenly place. After all, we are in war here on earth, but the location is in a heavenly place. 
carnal weapons here, we must use our heavenly weapons. And that heavenly weapon is Jesus. So, this is what he says. And to make all men see, this is Paul writing in Ephesians, the third chapter, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and power, you all, those principalities and powers are the angels, the demons, in heavenly places, that's what it says, might be made known by the church in manifold wisdom of God. You see, angels are real. Fallen angels, heavenly angels, they're real. Remember, heavenly angels are ministering spirits who aid us as we fulfill our kingdom mission for the Savior. We are fighting demons, you all, who have already lost one battle. So we can easily defeat them again by standing faithful in Christ Jesus. So, I read a story. And to get a good understanding, let me read it again. Our father and son was traveling across the wild west in a wagon one day when a prairie fire broke out. The father and son tried to outrun the wildfire in their wagon, but they quickly realized that it wasn't going to work. The fire was coming too fast, and unless they tried something else, it would catch up to them and consume them. So much to the confusion, of the son, the father turned the horse and wagon around and rushed directly back towards the fire. He took them to a spot that had already been burned and yelled to his son, jump out and stand here. Don't move. And they both jumped out, but the boy became afraid as he saw the fire raging and moving towards him. He wanted to run, but his father grabbed his hand and said, don't move. Stand Firm, but the fire is almost here. The son cried, shaking in his voice with fear. I don't understand. This spot has already been burned. His dad replied, "There is nothing left for the fire to grab. The fire will come near, but it cannot burn a way that has already been burned before." The boy was safe because he stayed with his father in a place that the fire could not reach. Mm-hmm. Think about that. See, Satan battles. He battles us with his demons. And in the scripture that we read earlier, there was 2,000 demons in this one man. And demon after demon after demon can come after us. But the battle has already been won. Mm-hmm. See, his goal for us is for us to step away from the battleground which was conquered by the cross. Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection secured the victory for all of us. So demons are unable to touch the believers without permission from Jesus. So success is prevalent if you just stand 
firmly in his center and in the safest location, which is the cross. Amen. Don't be deceived. That's all it takes is the cross. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to realize that without you, we can we cannot do anything. We are dependent on you, Lord. For you to fight our battles, we give you the honor, we give you the glory, we say yes to your will, yes to your way. For without you, Lord, we cannot do nothing. Oh, Jesus, we thank you right now. We ask you, Lord, to intervene, for that some might have problems intervene right now. Send your holy angels to intervene. Oh, Jesus, you're able. You're able to do all things where you never, never have lost a battle. But you're able to stand, Lord. You are able to enable us to stand. And we are willing to stand firmly on you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.